Hey, listeners, before we get started, if you're enjoying these episodes, you can actually check them out on YouTube in full video. You can just search Honest Ecommerce and you'll get pulled right to our channel. Make sure you subscribe and ring the bell for all the updates. We're trying to get people to fall in love, not just with our product, but with, with our brand and what we stand for. And so we have to stand for something to get people to fall in love with us. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, powering through technical difficulties and reschedulings, <laughs> I am very, very happy to welcome the founder of Soda Pup. Uh, they produce dog toys right here in America made for power chewing dogs. Adam Baker, how are you doing today? I'm doing great now that I'm finally here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we, I, we said we were going to make it happen. Uh, so that's the cool thing about this this application, Riverside. You can actually use your cell phone to be a guest if uh, you're uh, experiencing oddities like we were today. Um, <laughs> so I kind of alluded to that the the actual product is dog toys. So take me back in history. Where did the idea of producing uh, and, and creating like a dog toy brand come from? Well, so my background is actually in the sporting goods industry. Uh, I spent my career working for Nike and Under Armour, Crocs footwear. And honestly, I was getting burned out on corporate life. Uh, I was a little bit too young to retire. And I'd been watching the pet industry uh, throughout 2008, uh, deepest part of the recession, and the pet industry was growing. And so I thought to myself, well, I should figure out a business in the pet industry because it's recession proof. And uh, I've got three dogs. Um, and when I started looking more closely at the industry, I thought, you know, dog toys, it's like every retailer has the same assortment of dog toys and none of them are very interesting. And I'm a product person. My career has been in product management. And so, so we launched this little business called Soda Pup. And our goal is to bring innovations to a, a somewhat slow-moving category. Um, and we do that by focusing on consumers. You know, most, most dog toys are, thing, are shaped like bones or balls, you know, not terribly imaginative. And the reality is it's people that are buying the toys. So we thought, well, if we could come up with fun and interesting shapes that had some sort of emotional resonance with different types of consumers – then maybe we would have a shot. So, so that's kind of the underlying premise of what we do. Focus on consumers. We like to say that we make dog toys for people and they work great for dogs. Absolutely. Uh, so you guys are going into or, or are in year 10 in business. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, we started in October of 2013. There was actually a short chapter before that where we did, um, a, we did a licensing deal uh, with a company out of Southern California. And we licensed the slogan, Wagmore Bark Less. And we launched a whole product line around Wagmore Bark Less. And then that company got acquired and they didn't want to license the slogan anymore. So I had to figure out a quick pivot. It was actually interesting because that brand, the whole idea behind Wagmore Bark Less was to 
to create a lifestyle brand for dog lovers. And we were doing, you know, everything from hats and t-shirts to collars and leashes to dog bowls and dog toys. And the thing that we heard over and over again was, gosh, we really love your dog toys. Um, so when we had to pivot, um, we focused, initially we focused on rubber dog toys and, um, you know, there's a supplier uh, here actually across the street from our warehouse. Um, we're based in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, I got introduced to a rubber supplier here. And it turns out he made uh, Kong toys, which is Kong is kind of a leader. Uh, they've been around for about 40 years. And uh, he had just um, kind of gotten a, a separation from Kong. And so there's this beautiful state-of-the-art factory without a lot of product being produced. So. It's just funny how life works out, kind of the serendipity of me getting an introduction and them going through a transition. And so we were kind of off to the races once once that introduction was made. Absolutely. So you have a licensing deal, you put some products out there in the category that you thought there was area for growth. You got some really good feedback about the dog toys themselves. So you decided to double down there with the second iteration of the company uh, and, and kind of move forward there. So what was the go-to-market strategy? How were you getting those first initial customers? Were you Was it more of a, a wholesale model back then? Or were you going direct to consumer? Yeah, it was actually... Uh, uh, it, was, it was more of a, an omni-channel strategy, which is a nice way of saying I would take a sale any way I could get it. <laughs> and... Um, you know, so the other thing that was happening is subscription boxes were growing pretty dramatically. So in the beginning, you had boxes like BarkBox, and then BullyMate came along, and then Wolfpack, and PupBox, and and all of these subscription boxes were growing. So, you know, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, you know, you get a box in the mail once a month, and that box is filled with toys and treats. And the, the challenge for the subscription boxes was... Um, they needed a new toy every month. They needed a toy that fit their theme of the month. So they might be doing like a prehistoric theme. And so they need dinosaurs and things of that nature. And then as they were growing, they needed a lot of product. And so it became more and more difficult for these subscription boxes to find products that were on theme in the volumes that they needed at the price that they needed. And so I went to, uh, I started working with BarkBox in the beginning, and then they got so big, they started making their own toys. So I went to the next biggest subscription box. And I basically said, let me be your easy button. I will, I'll build you a new toy every month. I'll build it for you at cost. The only um, hitch is that I own the designs and I own the molds. And so I was making no profit on those orders, but I was getting a new mold every month. So keep in mind for rubber, the cost of a mold is between twenty and twenty-five thousand dollars. So you got to sell a lot of toys to pay for your mold before you can start making money. And so by partnering with these large subscription boxes, I was essentially funding my new product development. Uh, they were getting an incredible deal, and you know they didn't need those toys after the month that it was in the box. So it worked great for me. It worked great for them, and so. You know, we built new toys for like four years, you know, 48 new toys, um, all with the, with the molds paid for. So before we knew it, we had the largest assortment of 
you know, rubber dog toys, American made rubber dog toys of any brand in the business. Um, and we were so busy building these toys for these, you know, big key customers that we weren't even really marketing our brand. And so a couple of years ago, I thought, you know, um, well, I was very reliant on these big businesses. So if they ever left, I would lose a lot of revenue. So we started to, you know, we finally started to market the brand through Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising. And, uh, and people were like, holy cow, who are these guys? Like, we've never even heard of them. And they've got all these toys. How, how is this even possible? So we kind of exploded into the, the general consciousness of dog owners all at once, even though we'd been in business for, you know, at that point, six years. Um, so it was a very atypical path, but we leveraged uh, a phenomenon that was happening in the market, which was subscription boxes. And, you know, most of my competitors who were much older than, than our company, you know, they're very focused on traditional wholesale. So, you know, they're trying to get their products into PetSmart and Petco and, you know, other larger chains. And nobody was really paying attention to the subscription boxes. So I zeroed in on that. And it's what got us to, you know, where we are today. And then we expanded, you know, we expanded into nylon toys and into enrichment products, lick mats, things like that. Um, so we're a much more stable, much more diverse business today than we were in the beginning. Absolutely. Now, back when you were getting your products into these these subscription boxes, were they branded your brand or were they you know white labeled? Uh, so, was there any awareness as well as you know getting the molds made? Well, it was kind of a blend. Sometimes it would have our logo on it. Um, so there there was kind of a convergence of strategies. Um, you know, these boxes they don't want to have a soda pop product in their box every month because it starts to look like a soda pop box instead of, you know, oh, yeah. whatever, whatever box it is. So at one point I went to one of the boxes I was working with and I said, look, you're going to want different brands in your box every month. And as I looked at the market, I thought, you know, one of the things that's really attractive about the pet industry is that the distribution is so broad. So it's not just pet stores where you sell pet products. You can go into your grocery store and buy a dog toy. You can go into a CVS pharmacy and buy a dog toy. You can go into an Ace Hardware store and buy a dog toy. Or you can go to Target and Walmart. So, you know, you've got all kinds of distribution. Um, and so, you know, I made a decision, rather than have a brand that I sold into one channel of distribution, so rather than just being a pet specialty brand, I thought, well, what if I could become a category captain? What if I could become the very best at molded dog toys? And I created multiple brands that I could sell into multiple channels of distribution. So I created five brands. This was also came back to our consumer segmentation strategy. So 53% of American households have a dog. So you have to assume that dog owners are very, very diverse. So if you're a fashionista on the Upper East Side of New York, you know, you've got a $50,000 Birkin bag and a four-pound Yorkie that you stuff in your bag. You know, you're a very different customer than if you're, a, you know, a dude on the Delmarva Peninsula who drives a pickup truck and likes to hunt, you know, shoot ducks on the weekend. So, you know, we, we created brands for each of these different consumers. These brands have very different attitudes, right? So my USA Canine brand is inspired by military objects. The number one product in that brand is a hand grenade. 
uh, treat dispenser. And we sell that to dudes with pickup trucks and tattoos and big breed dogs. And then we've got, you know, the soda pup brand and we've got like a coffee cup treat dispenser because she likes her Starbucks and, um, you know, it's more geared toward a suburban mom. So what we did was we created a consumer segmentation strategy, a distribution segmentation strategy, and then that strategy I could sell into a subscription box so that they would have a different brand every month. Um, so it was a long-winded answer to your question, but we were selling different brands into the box every month, even though it was all our stuff. And then some of it was just unbranded. Um, which gave us greater versatility. Fantastic answer to the question. It's a very unique strategy. Thanks for sharing that. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, maybe Electric Eye can help. Our team has helped our clients generate millions of dollars in additional revenue through our unique brand scaling framework. You can learn more about our agency at electriceye.io. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Y-E dot I-O. Mesa is the expansion pack for your Shopify store to level up your brand. By turning all your apps into your business epicenter, Mesa can help lighten your workload and tame the day-to-day chaos of running your store. Join successful brands like Mudwater, Chubby's, and Golden to learn how to use clever workflows to get more done without more overhead. Whether you need to order details in Google Sheets, products added on Etsy, or customer information updated in your CRM, Mesa connects your data where it's needed most. To put it quite simply, Mesa is a better way to work. Browse pre-made templates for Shopify's most popular apps to get your first automation up and running in minutes. Search Mesa, that's M-E-S-A, in the Shopify App Store and download the app today. Is your store holiday ready? Now is the time to make sure you and your team are prepared for the busy season ahead. Gorgeous, an omni-channel help desk built for e-commerce has machine learning functionality that takes the pressure off small support teams and gives them the tools to manage a large number of inquiries at scale, especially during the holiday season. Gorgeous combines all your different communication channels like email, SMS, social media, live chat, and even phone into one platform and gives you an organized view of all your customer inquiries. Their powerful functionality can save your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. Merchants can close tickets faster than ever with the help of pre-written responses integrated with customer data to increase the overall efficiency of customer support. Their built-in automations also free up time for support agents to give better answers to complex product-related questions, providing next-level support, which helps increase sales, brand loyalty, and recognition. Eric Bandholtz, the founder of Beard Brand, says, We're a seven-figure business, and we have essentially one person on customer support and experience. It's impossible to do it without tools such as Gorgeous to help us innovate. Learn how to level up your customer support by speaking to their team. Visit gorgeous.grsm.io slash honest. Mention this podcast when you sign up to get two months free. That's g-o-r-g-i-a-s dot g-r-s-m dot i-o slash h-o-n-e-s-t. Today's show is sponsored by the Be Profit app for e-commerce sellers. If you're looking to get a crystal clear picture of your online store's profitability, the best way to do that is with the Be Profit Profit Tracker. Your online business probably has a ton of different expenses that often shift and change. What if you could keep accurate track of things like ad spend and production costs and get an accurate profit margin calculation without the headache of spreadsheets or half-baked apps? That's where Be Profit comes in. Be Profit lets you analyze all of your store's data quickly and accurately to stay on track and optimize your profits. 
I know a lot of our listeners out there probably keep track of their profits and expenses with a spreadsheet. That will work for a while, but as your store starts to scale up, that simply isn't a viable method of accurately measuring profitability anymore. B-Profit can change all of that for you. Available on Shopify and all the other top e-commerce platforms, the app offers advanced analytic tools to turn mountains of data into intuitive charts and graphs in the blink of an eye. Customize your dashboard, discover valuable insights, and zoom in on the metrics that matter most to you. Take it a step further and gain full control over your data by creating and exporting custom reports. You can even find out which are your most valuable products, top performing ads, best customer cohorts, and so much more with the Be Profit Profit Tracker. Visit beprofit.co today to start your seven day trial. Don't forget to use code HONEST15, that's H O N E S T 15, to get an exclusive 15% off any plan you choose for the lifetime of your plan. That's bprofit.co, discount code H-O-N-E-S-T-1-5. Getting an online business off the ground isn't easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a to-do list that's a mile long with your fifth cup of coffee by your side, remember, great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Klaviyo is for. It's the email and SMS platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Once you set up your free Klaviyo account, you can start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. And with e-commerce specific recommendations and insights, you can keep growing your business as you go. Get started with a free account at klaviyo.com slash honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. So... Um, Obviously, a few years back, there's kind of the decline of the subscription box industry. There's still some some out there, and some people are still doing it. But uh, you know, as you kind of saw that decline coming, how did your strategy pivot? Well, to be honest, there hasn't been a decline in um, pet subscription boxes. We continue to see it grow um, cool. because people are crazy about their pets, which is one of the reasons I was attracted to the industry. You know, I came from mm-hmm. the sporting goods industry, and what really fuels the sporting goods industry is people's crazy passion for sports, right? And every season, there's a new football season, a new hockey season, a new basketball season. Uh, there's college athletics, there's you know pro sports. And so there's this endless fountain of new emotion around new athletes and so on, new personalities. Well, the pet industry is very much the same way. People are nutty about their dogs. And so... I was really attracted to the industry because I didn't think most people were doing a great job of, of marketing in the, in the pet space. And so if I could really zero in on this emotional connection between people and their dogs, then, um, you know, we could, we could do things a little bit differently, you know, both from a product strategy perspective, you know, the, the types of designs we do, which are very consumer centric versus dog centric, and then, you know, be able to market around that. So we did not see a decline in subscription boxes. We saw subscription boxes growing and then moving away from us because they could hire their own product development teams, which had you know implications for us. We had to figure out how to sell our own product instead of selling through subscription boxes. Um, and that's been an amazing journey. Um, you know, one of the things we did was really focus on Instagram. Um, because we have super cute products and people have super cute dogs. And so there's just a lot of great imagery being pumped out with our product. And so we just started reposting 
all this user generated content showing people using our products. And it's been, it's been super fulfilling to see how people use our products. Uh, it's also been very surprising to see how people use our products. So if you go to our Instagram feed at soda pup dog toys, you will see the crazy things that people do with our products in terms of enrichment, the beautiful recipes. I mean, they've turned our product into works of art to post on Instagram. So that's been really, really fascinating. And then that drove uh, global brand awareness for us because Instagram is a global platform. And so as our Instagram account began to grow, then suddenly we're getting inquiries from um, wholesalers, you know, retail accounts, you know, first in France. And then in Germany, then in the Netherlands, then in Spain and the UK, then in South Korea and then Singapore. And, and you know, before you know it, we've got, you know, 25 distributors around the globe um, selling into all these markets. So, um, so social media has been central to our growth in a very unexpected way. I mean, we, we, we knew we had to be on social media, but we did not expect it to be a central driver of our brand awareness around the globe. Absolutely. So that's been a huge, huge learning lesson for us. You know, the other thing that's happened, um, and I don't think it's unique to the pet industry, but there's been an emergence of digital selling platforms that didn't exist in the past. So the, the pet industry historically has relied on a distributor model. So I sell to a distributor at a deep, deep, deep discount. They turn around and sell into... Uh, retail stores. And, you know, the big distributors have trucks and they're making deliveries, you know, once or twice a week to these little stores because these small stores don't have room for, you know, 40 pound bags of dog foods. So they have to be resupplied. The challenge with distributors is it's a very low margin business for us. Um, and they don't want to carry a brand unless they're well known first because they don't want to risk inventory dollars and so on. And so in the beginning, distributors weren't really an option for us. So, the question became, well, how do we, you know, how do we get our product out there? So we saw the emergence of these platforms. Um, in the beginning, it was wholesalepet.com. Um, they basically carry our catalog, digital catalog. People place orders through wholesalepet.com, and then they flow into us. So we would fulfill those. Then another platform came along called fair.com. I don't know if you're familiar with fair, but the, there's a lot of um, private equity money uh, getting pumped into fair. I think they became like a, they got a $4 billion valuation after two years. It's growing like crazy. Um, and they're marketing their technology uh, in Western Europe and US and Canada. So we just jumped on fair and leveraged everything we possibly could on the fair platform to, to drive sales. And right now we're the number one pet brand on that platform because we've embraced it so, so wholly. But what it's allowed me to do is grow the brand, particularly in Europe, with no distribution network. So, and then what's super fun is watching your brand um, spread. Like there's a viral spread, right? Because retailers are all watching one another. It's a competitive space. So you can see when, you know, one retailer jumps on board, then it kind of, it's almost like throwing a stone into the water and watching the ripples spread, um, you can actually you can watch that happen with fair orders coming in. It just spreads and spreads and spreads and spreads. So it's been it's been really fun to watch that as well. 
Absolutely. Now, with going into these new digital marketplaces, obviously there's uh, another one that we didn't really mention, Amazon. But you know, yeah. there, there's people have opinions on owning their own customer relationship and selling through their own direct consumer channel like on their own website versus using these kind of these third party marketplaces where you don't necessarily get that customer. Um, you know, what is kind of your thought and opinion on growing without owning the customer? Well, in the case of fair and, you know, wholesalepet.com, we actually, we do own the customer. Um, those orders flow into our Shopify store. So we use a Shopify store. Those orders flow in. All the customer data uh, lives in our system. So I can send email campaigns to them that just because the order is being facilitated by FAIR or by wholesalepet.com, those customers are still ours. I have all their information. I can market to them independently. Um, Amazon's a little bit different. Um, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with Amazon. I've tried... I think everyone does. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've tried to be a direct seller. Um, it's a full-time job just keeping up with with that. Um, and if you use FBA and you're selling you know, relatively low-cost product, it's just hard to make money because you're paying for the shipping to get it there. You're paying for the advertising. You're paying FBA fees. Um, so there's just not a lot of money to be had. So... I've done three things. I, I started out with uh, with us being the seller. Then I hired an agency to manage our store. Um, couldn't make money that way. Um, most recently, I've given an exclusive relationship to one third-party seller. And they manage the brand. And they have access to my listings. So they can manage my store. But I'm not selling. Um, I mean, we're selling off inventory that we still have there, but but primarily we're selling to them as a wholesaler, and and they are the um, they're the seller on Amazon. The challenge with Amazon is you have to figure out a way to maintain price, and so what you can't do on Amazon is sell to a lot of sellers because even one extra seller will drive pricing down, you know, because everyone's trying to get the buy box. So, so we maintain, you know, we just have this one exclusive relationship. So, and it's mandatory that they sell at MSRP or above, but never below. So, um, so that's the biggest challenge there. And then, of course, our retail partners are all retail partners are concerned about brand selling on Amazon because it represents competition. Um, but as long as they maintain MAP then, you know, it's a level playing field for everybody. So that's what we do. We, we make sure that we maintain MAP. We police anybody else that manages to get our product and sell it online um, so that we can cut off their supply and make them stop. Absolutely. No, I think it's very interesting that you said that uh, running and maintaining an Amazon presence is akin to a full-time job. And I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's an expertise and skill set in and of itself um, and that's why, uh, like over at the agency, we're just like we know it exists. That's about the, that's the extent yeah. of it. You know, there's <laughs> there's some stuff there um, because it's it's just a completely different model than you know your or just a, a completely different strategy than your own kind of like owned experience, your own website, or Shopify store, for example. Um, it is a, just a completely different skill set. So that's something that a lot of young entrepreneurs need to understand that it does take. You know, it it isn't the same strategy in two different places. 
course, they'd like you to believe that it's easy, but... That's power of marketing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're constantly developing new tools and new ways to take your money. You know, the challenge for us is the pet toy category is very, very competitive. And so um, because of that competition, the, the price of sponsored ad gets driven up. And so any margin that you might have had from selling the product gets eaten up by your advertising budget. Absolutely. That, that's the challenge. That's the biggest challenge for us. And we're not very good at it. So <laughs> we've, we farmed it out to somebody who knew what they were doing. Absolutely. Now, Adam, is there anything I forgot to ask you today that you think would resonate with our audience? Well, there are a couple of things that I would say about SodaPup that make us different. You know, I, I kind of started this as a hobby business in my basement. And I wanted to create a values-based business. To be quite honest with you, this was, you know, I, I was fortunate in my career. I had the ability to retire when I was younger. Um, but I always had this question in my mind because I had worked for great entrepreneurs. You know, Phil Knight started Nike selling, you know, running shoes out of the back of his car at track meets. Kevin Plank started this tight t-shirt company called Under Armour, you know, selling to his football teammates. And, you know, those were amazing experiences for me where I learned a lot about, you know, big business with Nike and more entrepreneurship with Kevin and Under Armour. I always wondered whether I had the right stuff. Like, could I create, could I create something from nothing, like ground zero? So, so this was a bit of a challenge for myself to, to move into an industry where I had no experience. I had no contacts. I knew how to make molded product because at Crocs, we made a lot of molded footwear. But, um, and so I wanted to see if I could make something from nothing. And in an effort to do that, part of the question was, could I actually create a, a dog toy brand that people could fall in love with? Which is a tall order because 99% of people who have a dog couldn't probably name any brand that they buy. What we're trying to do is really very unique. We're trying to get people to fall in love, not just with our product, but with, with our brand and what we stand for. And so we have to stand for something to get people to fall in love with us. So we, what we stand for is, first of all, we're a veteran-owned business. My first career was actually in the Coast Guard. Um, we manufacture everything in the U.S., everything. Like our rope comes from the U.S. We use an Amish company in Pennsylvania. You know, the only thing that doesn't come from the U.S. is the natural rubber, which comes from rubber trees. So it, rubber comes from equatorial climates. You can't grow a rubber tree in the United States. Um, all of our products are FDA uh, compliant materials. So everything is safe for your dog. So there's a lot of fears, you know, when you buy a, a cheap toy out of China you know, are there phthalates in that, in that material? You know, is there lead? Is there, you know, all kinds of heavy metals and stuff. There's less control when you manufacture in, in China. So we have focused on USA manufacturing, USA materials, everything's FDA compliant. And, you know, we give back generously to, to dog related charities. And, um, you know, we're just trying to do the right things that are meaningful for people. And, and, you know, what we're finding is that people are falling in love with our brand. So it's really, um, you know, for me to come kind of full circle, I left my career, you know, at the height of my earning power. I walked away from, you know, tremendous opportunities to, to go ship toys out of my basement for about three or four years 
wondering, you know, was this really a smart thing for me to do? Um, but we've, uh, you know, we've been very successful. We doubled our business last year, uh, just leased a second warehouse. We're, we're going to outgrow that in the next year. So things are really starting to boom. And, you know, when the time comes, I'll be able to walk away and say, yeah, we, we figured out how to do that. And, and it's been super rewarding. You know, I, I've been fortunate in my career. I've worked with some amazing people with some great companies. And this is rewarding in an entirely different way. Actually, the skill set to be a successful entrepreneur is very different than the skill set required to be a successful, you know, executive in a, in a bigger company. You know, I like rolling up my sleeves and I like bouncing between tactical work and strategic work instead of just being a strategist, which, you know, I think the danger for executives in a big company is you, you start to lose touch with the reality of the day-to-day of running a business. And I like the day-to-day. Um, and I've got enough experience to drive the strategy. So it, it's just super rewarding, you know, building a team, giving people jobs, um, having them be a part of the growth of this company uh, is just totally, totally different from my corporate life. Absolutely. I, I can definitely uh, resonate with the showing up every day and just doing the job is really, really the fun part of entrepreneurship. It's the journey. It's not the destination. Yeah. And, you know, in, in corporate life, if you're going to advance, you typically, you know, you start out doing a job that you love and then you get promoted into jobs that you don't love. They pay better, but they're not as much fun. So, uh, you know, it's a bit of a catch 22. Absolutely. Adam, well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing all your insights with us. Um, for the, those that are curious about the product that you obviously uh, love so much and you want them to love, where should they go to check it out? Uh, well, the best place to go is uh, sodapup.com. It's S-O-D-A-P-U-P, sodapup.com. You can find everything that we have on our site. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You bet. Thanks, Chase. It's good talking with you. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.